Okay, these are some heavy topics and great topics today. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm actually pretty excited to get into the Articles of Faith. I know it's something that's kind of foundational, but I'm interested in hearing some thoughts from our audience on what they think is important in there. Yeah, for sure. Definitely mm. foundational. And also mm. Official Declaration 1 and 2. Mm. So polygamy, Blacks and the Priesthood. Yeah, pretty heavy stuff, but yeah, it'll awesome. be a good conversation. Yeah. yeah. So welcome. Before we get started, should we follow up on what we read? Yeah, let's do it. So today we're talking about the Articles of Faith and the official declarations of the church. The Articles of Faith were written by Joseph Smith for a newspaper, and in them he explains the foundational beliefs of the church. In addition to these Articles of Faith, we also understand that monogamy is the standard for the church. However, Joseph Smith was commanded to practice the law of polygamy. That practice was actually ended in 1890 by Wilfred Woodruff through the Official Declaration 1. Official Declaration 2 comes around in 1978 by Spencer W. Kimball, and through it, all worthy men are said to be able to hold the priesthood. Now, we're going to focus on two specific things in our discussion today, the foundational truths of the gospel, uh, meaning specifically the Articles of Faith, and understanding the declarations of the church. In order to help us to dive deeper into these scriptures and have a better understanding of these official declarations as well, we have invited our good friend Desmond Lomax. Desmond, will you join us? Welcome. So well. Thank you. So great to have you here. Good to see you. So Desmond Lomax, you are a clinical mental health therapist. You've worked for 20 years in the field of law enforcement and corrections, and also you're the past president of the Utah Mental Health Counseling Association, correct? Yes. So tell us a little bit about what your current responsibilities uh, entail at work. I'd be interested. To, oh, to so, so I retired from the Department of Corrections uh -huh. last year in January, and so I work for an organization called the Arbinger Institute. Mm -hmm. So I, I train uh, mindset change in organizations uh, uh, focused on uh, public safety, uh, but also work in the corporate world as well. Okay, excellent. Um, so before we get into our discussion, I'm wondering, was there anything in these articles of faith or declarations that really kind of jumped out to you that you found especially meaningful or significant? I, I don't just believe the gospel is, is true. Mm -hmm. I believe it's real. Mm -hmm. And so, so I think a part of making the gospel real in your life, you have to go through the difficult task of... Um, understanding the hard things in the church, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the hard principles and, and things that are confusing to you require a lot of faith, patience, inspiration, and listening to the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of, of all worthy uh, men having the priesthood, um, when I think of the issue of, of polygamy, um, I think of, of difficult topics that require a higher level of interaction with your Father in Heaven mm -hmm. to receive the inspiration you need. I believe I can speak for Barbara as well, just being professors. I mean, this is something that we see our students uh, deal with, you know, every single semester. And like it, these kind of conversations, they, they are their reality in this age of information. There's something that they can't escape. And it's important, I think, to, to, to face them head on. And hopefully we can model some of that today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so let's jump right into it then and talk first about the foundational uh, truths of the gospel and specifically the articles of faith. Barbara, can you give us a little bit of background on what was the catalyst for the publication of these? Yeah, so the church had been in existence now for a while. People were getting to know a little bit more about it, especially some of the struggles that the members of the church were having. Joseph Smith received an invitation, per se, to write down the basic truths of the gospel. He wrote it in what was called the Wentworth Letter. It was Wentworth who was actually asking to do this. He wrote down these 13 articles of faith. Uh, they later were published in what was known as the Times and Seasons. And then later in the late 1800s, we actually have the, the formal publication as part of the standard works. Go ahead, Desmond. Yeah, yeah. please. I, I can't write anything 
about my life in a page and a half, right? I'm looking at how <laughs> I'm looking at how Joseph Smith did this little. I mean, this is what maybe eight paragraphs. Um, he was able to explain uh, the purpose of the church. Yeah, and it clearly states our belief in Christ, which I know is often uh, excused. We've been called Mormons for so many years, yeah. but that that even in Joseph Smith's time, he was very much upfront. Uh, an understanding of God and the atonement and transgression and the importance of Christ and, and how Christ will take his reign. And, and all of these things uh, he was able to do in a very small section uh, of our scriptures. We often talk about doctrines and policies and procedures and everything else. When we look at this, this is a doctrine, like yeah. Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father, mm -hmm. Holy Ghost, right? Mm -hmm. This is foundational. Yeah. And just on that note, there aren't many kind of creedal statements like this is, mm -hmm. the statements of belief that, that also encompass the moral responsibilities of human beings. When I look at Article of Faith 13, we believe in being honest, true, chaste, benevolent, and virtuous, and in doing good to all men. Indeed, we may say that we follow the admonition of Paul. We believe all things, we hope all things, we have endured many things, and we hope to be able to endure all things. If there's anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report, or praiseworthy, we seek after these things. And as I read this, I'm, I'm reminded of this idea that being a member of the church isn't just uh, you know, assenting to a body of kind of theological precepts. We're not just agreeing with something. Our religion is intended to be embodied. It's intended to be manifested in our life, in our character, in our conduct. And this is really what I think 13 gets at, this idea that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of becoming. And I'm reminded of something that Elder Oaks said in a talk called The Challenge to Become. The Apostle Paul taught that the Lord's teachings and teachers were given that we may all attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This process requires far more than acquiring knowledge. It is not even enough for us to be convinced by the gospel. We must act and think so that we are converted by it. In contrast to the institutions of the world which teach us to know something, the gospel of Jesus Christ challenges us to become something. And, and can I add to that? Mm -hmm. I think there's an energy at times to check boxes, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, oh, I've paid my tithing. I went to church. Oh, I, I said hi to my neighbor, mm -hmm. right, right? Like we, we spend so much time and energy checking boxes, but that is not the process of becoming. That is like the preparation of becoming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tithing, reading scripture, saying prayers, all of these things are in preparation to then go out and do. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, get, I get fearful sometimes because I think the world is in a place now that we could set on a social media and merely exist watching other people exist and not get outside of our homes and actually be like Christ. Yeah. 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 So we have a, a, a video question from a viewer at home, I think, regarding this subject. Hi, my name is Kyle. I'm 16 and I live in Farmington, Utah. And my question is, this is God's church and it's an ever-growing church and he wants to move this church in his will. How can we keep strengthening our personal testimony about the fundamental truths of the gospel while the church is changing policies or changing the way they do things? No, that's wow. A, that's a great question. 16. Though. That's a great question. Thankfully, as an African-American male in this country, I am so used to change. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm yeah. so used to differences. I'm so used to things coming at me a little awkward, a little twisted. And so, to me, it's a, it's a natural occurrence where I think some people get so comfortable in their lives because they've lived good lives and, and living a Christ faith life is a good life that sometimes we get surprised by change when I think it's something we need to embrace. I think we had a comment over here from Elisa. So what it means for me is that 
if we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will accept every change because the doctrines and the love of God is the same over time. It doesn't change. And if we believe that, we will be assured that no matter what it came, we can go through that, through those changes because we have faith in the Lord. The way in which God is the same yesterday, today, and always is that He always changes. He always changes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like that's that, maybe changes is a bad way to put it, but He always reveals more yeah, yeah. as we are ready for it. Yeah, right? that, yeah that's yeah. a good way of saying it. Abbas, please. So as we're talking about change, um, when I was serving a mission in Long Beach, California, a lot of people asked me about black in the priesthood. And I kind of tell them, like I said, yes, the, the church did, didn't allow people black men to hold a priesthood. And I, that was being like a long time ago, but now it's changed because we can hold a priesthood. And also it's a worldwide church. So change can happen anytime and anytime soon. And because I'm excited, any general conference, it's been a lot of changes. And I feel like change, change is good because it kind of helps us to kind of deepen understanding to allow other cultures, other people to join our church, to see that how the church is going because it is a worldwide church. It's the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we're supposed to receive revelation and see that change happens, as President Nielsen said, that we are supposed to have our own personal revelations. But as change comes, we can also embrace those change and also look forward to what the, look forward to what the prophet is saying, so accept the doctrine so we can see for, like, what Heavenly Father unfold for us. I served my mission in South Africa, mm -hmm. Durban, Durban area. And um, it was refreshing to go to South Africa and see that the policies, principles, and faith in the church was very much the same as it is here. It was created in this country, but it was never meant solely for this country. So thank you for that thank comment. For that. Yeah, very good comment. I mean, and just kind of summarizing everything that's been said, we need to allow our faith to grow and mature and develop, I think, uh, to be capacious and, and, and broad enough to encompass what, Lord, what the Lord wants to accomplish in, in this life, I think. And I, and I reached out to a, a colleague uh, to, to ask him, what might we expect in terms of how our faith will develop over time? Uh, and this is what he had to say. Thanks so much, Daniel and Barbara, and thank you for such a thoughtful question and an important question. This is a question that's actually gotten quite a bit of attention recently, and to that point, there have been many models and metaphors proposed to help us understand this developmental journey of our faith. My personal favorite actually comes from an academic journal by Dr. Glenn Richardson. He says that we're in this comfort zone, and then something happens, life events, choices, tragedy, trials, these sorts of things, and it disrupts our comfort zone. And through this disruption, we feel a number of different emotions. We feel hurt, we feel angry, we feel confused, we feel betrayed. We experience a number of different challenging emotions during this period. But then there's this moment of resonation, this moment where we realize, I can't just stay here, uh, you know, locked in my room. I have to get back uh, to life. I have to reintegrate back into society. But people reintegrate in different ways. Some reintegrate with loss, right? They, they reintegrate, but they're, they're angry, they're bitter, they hold grudges, they're, they're down, all of these different types of things. Some reintegrate, but it's as if it didn't happen. Uh, in Resilience Talk, they bounce back. Uh, they bounce back to this comfort zone. Ultimately, though, the, the objective is this resilient reintegration where we're stronger because of the challenges we faced and we're a better person because of it. Thanks so much for the opportunity to share some of these thoughts. And thanks to Ryan for sharing that. I remember my, my brother, 
one of my brothers um, calling me one day and saying he was really struggling with this testimony of Joseph Smith. But I remember when he was younger, he testified of Joseph Smith all the time. But when he went through law school and he went through graduate school, all of a sudden his testimony of Joseph Smith was difficult because he was putting Joseph Smith to the test as a very difficult attorney would. But then he continued to study it and he paid the price and he went through a complex study and a very deep study of the, of the prophet Joseph Smith. He paid again a very heavy price. He prayed, he fasted, he did things that he hadn't done as a, as a 10 year old perhaps. But as a 35 year old man, his testimony of Joseph Smith is extremely strong and extremely deep. One of the things that we see is we struggle with our testimony. Sometimes we give up a little bit too easy. Had he not paid that price, had he had stopped in the process of the complex, and in my, I usually do a graph like this, the complex is here. If you stop at the complex when it's most difficult, you're never gonna have the gratitude for the simplicity that comes after. And can I add to that? Um, so my son passed away uh, about a year and a couple months ago to suicide. Um, and so my understanding of the gospel um, was one thing. And when he passed away, it, it had to become something else, yeah. right? And, and I, beg of, I beg of all those that are watching and all those that are listening to have patience with those that are at the bottom of that, of that example. Because there are people who are going through experiences that are struggling with loss and fear and hurt and it takes time to understand the simplicity um, when you are broken. Um, and so, so, so for me, um, I came to appreciate that um, being broken by something is where God would have you be because he's the one, he's the physician. Excellent. How, how grateful I think we all are for, for the people in our lives who didn't give up on mm. us in those lonely, difficult, hard, questioning moments. And recognizing sometimes that it's not so much that we need them to, to teach us or to hold our hand, but maybe just to sit with us yeah. and just to be present. We don't need somebody to preach to us most of the time. Yeah. 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 So this has been a great discussion about the foundational truths of the gospel, and, and thank you for your, your comments and your insightful uh, perspectives. Maybe now we can transition and talk a little bit about understanding the declarations of the church. Yeah, so we have two official declarations of the church. There are only two, so it shows how significant these, these declarations actually are. We're going to focus our time today on official declaration number two. We have Desmond here with us who has experienced the results of this official declaration. There's a wonderful history behind it. In the early days of the church, there were black members of the church who did hold the priesthood. Um, especially during the times, of, well, during the times of Joseph Smith, during the times of Brigham Young, uh, they no longer were allowed to. President Oaks actually has a wonderful statement where he says, um, too often as members of the church, we try to give answers of why. And he says, if, if the Lord himself hasn't given us the answer why to a revelation, then we don't have the answer. And somebody asked him then in that situation, are you referring specifically to blacks in the priesthood? And he said, yes, we don't have an answer to why on that. And any speculation is not going to give us the correct answer. So we don't have a necessary the answer why, but we do know 1978, Spencer W. Kimball, after seeking for revelation for a number of years, and specifically at a certain period of time, uh, received revelation that black members of the church should be uh, given and receive the priesthood. Um. Clearly, this, this, this declaration has amazing impact on me. Um, as it says in the declaration, uh, the long-promised day has come. And so, so, so 
blacks having the priesthood was a necessary process for Zion to become Zion or for our church to become. Um, without it, we wouldn't be able to. And, and, and so, so, so that's, that part I, I choose to celebrate um, is the fact that w- without every worthy male having the priesthood, then we cannot do God's will, which is every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Christ. And that the church is in that, in that the gospel has been promised to go to all four corners of the world. I mean, this is a, a topic that I think that's challenging for some people. Maybe it's because they didn't learn about it and they learned about it or felt betrayed, or maybe it's because they're African-American or uh, African descent and they, and they felt like, why would the Lord do this or did the Lord do this? Was it challenging for you, this idea? And if so, how did you kind of come out on the other side of that challenge? What's challenging for me is not the change. I can accept the change and move forward. What's challenging for me is that there's still people in the church who feel there's a differential based upon skin color. Mm-hmm. That's the part I struggle with, is that if, if I show up to the temple, hey, thank you for being here. We're so excited to have you here. No, no, I don't want you to be excited. I want you to be <laughs> completely comfortable with me being at the temple because that's where I'm supposed to be, yeah. no matter what my color is. Yeah. So let's stop celebrating because a brown person's in the temple, <laughs> right? You know, you talk about racism and sometimes the maybe unintended racism that happens in the church. Sometimes I think people don't even recognize that they're doing it. Like the example you just gave, I think some people are probably saying, oh my goodness, I'm so excited. You know, I mean, with the best of motivations and yeah. the kindest, purest spirit in the whole world, right? Yeah. But frankly, it can be very offensive and, it, and it's racist, but they wouldn't think that of themselves at all. Would you, would you be able to give us um, maybe some examples or maybe even kind of open our eyes to see, even in our church culture, how are we sometimes racist without, without intending to be? People generally in the church are inherently good for the most part, really good people. And so if, if, if we've done something, because we, we all have, have biases, we all have bits of racism, we all have it, no matter what our creed and color. But for some reason, I can acknowledge that I have some racism, but if I mention it to someone else who, who is of a lighter persuasion, they might be like, oh no, why would you even mention racism? Oh my goodness, why would you use that word? Don't use ignorance, don't use this, don't use that. Well, well if we're gonna have this refiner's fire, if we're gonna have this refinement, um, how, do, how do we refine? We refine through heat. To become this, this perfect man in Christ requires us to deal with difficult things that are uncomfortable. And I think, I mean, we've said this on the show before, but just recognizing too that all of us are kind of a, a product of our own upbringing mm. and socialization and recognizing that we all have our blind spots and having a little compassion and empathy sometimes with people, I think it's helpful. All of the racism I've experienced has usually been in the form of jokes or compliments. Yes. <laughs> like it's not really antagonistic or anything, it's just some you know, lack of education in some sense and just people being the product of their upbringing. If you don't know a person of color and, and the only experiences you've had with a person of color is what you've seen on the news, which isn't healthy a lot of times, yeah. then close your proximity with people and, and get to know people of different colors more intimately. And working towards this ideal that's mentioned in 4th Nephi where it's, you know, there are no manner of ites, this mm. idea that our, our mm. spiritual lineage and kinship uh, transcends any kind of corporeal or cultural kinship. That I think that's beautiful. And, and, and there's no DNA for race. Our very blood, there's no marker for race, which means we are all the same. So I think we actually have a video from a viewer at home regarding uh, official declaration too. Hi guys, my name is Carl Lee. 
and I am a Jamaican Brit from London, England. Uh, my family was baptised into the church at, in 1979, um, which was a year later after the declaration was released. And um, you can imagine the types of conversations and also the types of um, concerns that we had at this time. But my question is, is how um, can we use uh, modern revelations or resources um, to help um, understand the official declaration number two? I think uh, Sherry Dew gave great advice once, and I'm paraphrasing you, Sherry, I'm sorry. But she said, <laughs> our greatest goal is to understand how to communicate with God. Like, we have to know when the Spirit is testifying to us and what that feels like. Once you have that connection, then do all the research. And society will not teach you what you need to know in relationship to this topic. The Spirit of God will. And I think that that's the case with most, if not all, but most mm -hmm. difficult topics within the church, whether yes. it's an LGBTQ mm -hmm. issue, whether it's a black in the priesthood issue, women in the priesthood, polygamy, mm -hmm. we have to be able to receive our own personal revelation in order to handle these types of topics. I think we had a comment over here. So this is a question for Desmond. So you've been a member most of your life, but like, how do you deal with your day-to-day -day life, especially like what's going on? You said not focusing on the, so like, the social answers. Uh -huh. Like, how do you cope up with those, like, black and the priesthood, but even though you have, your, you have received your own answer, but like, how do you tell other people about it? It is important as an, as an African-American Latter-day Saint to have the courage to speak up. Because what's hurting our, our church is that we're not really explaining our experiences with people so that they can see us more as people, right? Um, people make assumptions based upon my appearance. And if I don't speak up about who I am and what I believe and the type of person I am, all they have is their assumptions. I would like to just blend in and, and, and maybe not be seen, but I know that's not my purpose. <laughs> that's why God made me brown. Because <laughs> he's like, Desi, you're going to stick out and you're going you're gonna to preach and you're going to testify and... and because that's what I've called you to do, and that's your purpose. And so, so I think a part of it is I'd like to blend in, but a part of it, I, through inspiration of the Spirit, knowing that being who I am, I can be a, an instrument in God's hands. Thank you. President Nelson, June 1st of 2020, the creator of us all calls on each of us to abandon attitudes of prejudice against any group of God's children. Any of us who has prejudice towards another race needs to repent. During the Savior's earthly mission, he constantly ministered to those who were excluded, marginalized, judged, overlooked, abused, and discounted. As his followers, can we do anything less? The answer is no. We believe in freedom, kindness, and fairness for all of God's children. I plead with us to work together for peace, for mutual respect, and for an outpouring of love for all of God's children. Sometimes we just think about this as a racist thing, but, but this is affecting families for eternity. It's affecting culture. It's affecting so much more than just, I shouldn't say just, than, than a conversation also on racism. This is an eternal yes. discussion yes. that we're having here. And when my, when my son passed away, and um, I was at the funeral home, the only thing I could feel was the eternal bond that kept us together forever. Um, it, it felt like a, an unbreakable cord between me, my wife, my son, and eternity. And to not have that privilege 
I don't know where I would be yeah. like today as a person. That's what bared me up. That's what kept me going was that eternal bond that I knew because of promises I made with my wife 20 plus years ago. So thank you for that. So thank you for this great discussion, for all your meaningful comments. I've certainly learned a lot. Desmond, we wish we had so much more time with you. Your insights are fantastic. We appreciate you helping us understand a little bit more about this. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Appreciate all your experiences. Yep. We thank you also, those of you in the audience. We appreciate your questions, your comments, your experiences that you've shared today, and your testimonies. Mm -hmm. And to those of you at home, thank you for sharing uh, your comments and questions with us via social media. We'd love to have you in the studio with us sometime. But if you can't, we, we hope you'll tune in next week for a come follow up. Thanks. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.